0: All right, if you got a Bible, open it up to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. We're closing out chapter 4 this week, and this is kind of the third part or part three of the story that we've been talking about in John 4 for now three weeks, because that would be why it's the third part. All right? So this story of Jesus having a conversation with the woman at the well, when he is helping her understand that he is the living water, he is the source that she needs. And we've talked about that over the last several weeks. And it's not wrong for us to have the need that needs to be filled, that, that need for love, that need for acceptance, that need for purpose in our life, that, that need that's deep down within us that really cries out and craves to be filled. And, and that need is, I need to know why I'm here, who I am. And so Jesus tells this woman that it's, it's not wrong to have this need. It's just wrong to have the wrong Source. And so he was telling her that he had to meet with her. He had to go to Samaria. And we've been talking over the last several weeks that Samaria is synonymous to some area. Some of y'all are still just now getting that. All right. Some area in our life where we try to fill it, fill our life with some source. And so if we're not careful, even well meaning Christians who have the right beliefs can still have Samarias in their lives that Jesus has to pass through, that Jesus has to go to and says, man, we need to deal with that because you're you're still looking to that as your source. And here's the the hardest thing I think for believers is a lot of times those things aren't bad things. Like this woman, it is not a bad thing to have a husband. Now, if you're on your sixth one, you're probably doing it wrong, right? And that's been the whole contention here, that, that it's not bad to have a husband, it's just bad To look to your husband as your source it's not bad to have a wife it's not bad to have a spouse it's not bad to have a job it's not bad to have a kid in fact all those the bible says are gifts from god so those are good and right but they just can't be our source our source has to come from something deeper something more stable something we would say eternal And that's what Jesus offered her. He said, I'm going to give you living water that springs up into eternal life. And so as he's having this conversation with her and then confronts the thing that she thinks is her source, once her life is changed, then she runs out and tells everybody, and this is her evangelism strategy, which no one ever taught you how to evangelize like this. If you don't even know what the phrase evangelize means, it just means to tell the good news. She runs out and tells everybody, come meet the guy who's told me everything I ever did. We, we try to memorize four spiritual laws, not, not, hey, just come meet the person who changed my life. And I'm not saying we shouldn't know those things. I'm not saying we shouldn't know doctrine. I've talked about that for the last several weeks. I'll talk about it again today. But what I'm saying is the most powerful testimony that we can have is, is we just say to people, come meet the dude who changed me. Come meet the dude who became my source and who filled me in a way that no thing else could. So she goes out and tells all the townspeople. Then the townspeople start coming to Jesus. And that's when we're gonna kind of wrap up this story. And then there's another story at the end of chapter four, which may not seem like they go together, but I'm gonna do my best to show you how they do because John purposely put them together for us to understand another deeper truth. So here we go, John chapter four Verse 39 through 42, this is the last part of that conversation with the woman at the well. It says this, 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. This is what I was just saying. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Verse 41, and many more believed. Because of his word. That's an important phrase. In fact, that's the title of this week's message. Because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So I want you to see this. These people's lives were changed. Once they came into contact with Jesus, they heard for themselves, oh, wow, this really is him. But what was it that got them out there to see him? It was her words, right? It was her words that got them out there to hear his words. And this is the part that I want to help us see. And what's interesting to me when it says her words, that's literally the Greek word logos it's the same greek word as john uses in john chapter one to describe who jesus is and then it says the phrase because of his word it's the same greek word logos so i want you to see this she is speaking logos they come out and they hear him and he's speaking it and they believe it and here's how this works in fact this is a point i want you to write this down because this is what i want you to wrap your mind around When the word, it's Jesus, Logos, becomes our words, it will change the world. When the word becomes our words, it will change the world. Now, think about this. Words change the world, don't they? I mean, there are some famous speeches. I have a dream speech by Martin Luther King. You know, there's all kinds of... Famous speeches and and people know that words have power i've heard someone say words create worlds, so the type of words that you use create really kind of an atmosphere or a world or kind of a a setting and so and, and, and you know this if you grew up in a home where a lot of the words were negative and they weren't building up like ephesians four says they weren't propping people up. They weren't building people up. They weren't encouraging people, but they were always tearing down. That has an effect on you. So our words have power. And if you even go back theologically, God created the world with his words. Because it says in the beginning, God said. So the words created the world. So our words Matter. The type of words that we use matter, but here's what I want you to see. When the word of God comes into your life and changes you, one of the things that it changes is your words. And then your words, you're now speaking to others, and if your words are his word, then it has the power to change their world also. So our words matter. And I just want to highlight this as we kind of wrap up that part of the story, because this woman, we would think, had no business, right? Like, who in the world is she? What has she done? Her story is a really jacked up and messed up story. Who who is she for God to use to change the world with? And, And this is why I always say to you, God loves to use people who have no other reason but God's grace to change the world. He's not looking for heroes or rock stars. He's just looking for normal people whose, word, whose worlds have been so messed up, and then his word shows up, changed their world, and then their words change other people's worlds. Like We look at heroes in the Bible, and we're like, man, I want to be like Abraham. I want to be like Moses. I want to be like David. Well, if you look at their stories, it's not like they had a lot going for them prior to Jesus showing up. I mean, Abraham was a 75-year-old moon worshiper. We've talked about that. Anybody here in that age range, 75, and worshiping the moon? You're like, no, but I'm a Leo. (laughs) That's similar. All right. Like you think, I mean, I'm 75 and worshiping. What What in the world can God do with me? He can make a whole new generation of people is what he can do. You look at Moses. Moses was a kid put in a basket, flushed down the river. And yet God rescued him. Noah was a drunkard. You're like, well, David. David was a weirdo who liked to play guitar to sheep. Come on, y'all know that. I always just joke with that. I love our worship team. I love that. But if I walk out and dad's in a field, planting some sheep, I'm like, "Bro, you okay?" <laughs> he was the youngest in his family. even his own father overlooked him. And yes, he was a man after God's own heart, but he still messed up and had an affair. So you look at all these people, and you're like, "Man, I can't be like that. I can't be them." And that's the, that's the hard thing sometimes, like we see people at a certain season in their life, and we don't understand the context for which God is using them. Even myself, I mean, I'm a pastor, and those of you that have been around here for a while, I mean, you've heard bits and pieces of my story, but I didn't grow up in church. I couldn't speak rightly when I was a kid. I had to have ear surgery because I couldn't understand words correctly, and now I speak. And my joke is this. God spoke through a donkey in the Old Testament, and he's still doing it today, right now. So so here's what we should never do. We should never tell God why he can't use us. And what we should do instead is hide his word in our heart. Because the power was never meant to reside in you without God. It was meant to reside in you with God. And so what I mean by that is this. And I told you this a few weeks ago. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. So all Jesus needs from you is a yes. He'll take care of the rest. He will empower you. He will give you the grace and the ability to speak and to serve and to do what he has called you and made you to do. This is why I love Ephesians 2. Probably one of my most favorite chapters in the Bible. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God made us alive together with him in Christ. Verse 10, we are his Workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And those good works involve words coming out of my mouth. And so when we talk about, let me, let me apply this in a very specific way. When we talk about the summer serve opportunity that we have here at our church, what I want you to understand is what we're inviting you into is not just to hold a door or hold a baby or lead a small group or help people find their seat or worship or production. It's not just a physical act to Fill up an hour on your Thursday or Sunday or Wednesday. What we are inviting you into is the word of God empowering your life and changing someone else's worlds. That's what we're inviting you into. So when we ask you to serve around here, it's not that we're asking you to serve just because we need to check a box or fill a room or have these things taken care of. Yes, we got to make sure those things are done, but I want you to understand the invitation is just like this woman, come let God who's changed your life through you change someone else's life. And you say, man, you don't know my past. You don't know my story. Well, this woman who was on her sixth dude, not even baptized yet, is already leading a whole town to Jesus. Tell me what your excuse is. There's not one. Well, pastor, I didn't go to seminary. Great. Neither did this woman. Neither did his disciples. In fact, in, in the Bible, I love this, and I've referenced this before, when God, when people started seeing the disciples doing powerful things, they, they were bum fuzzled because they were like, "These is common ordinary men, and the phrase they're common is literally the Greek word idiot. And so everybody was like, Why did Jesus pick these idiots? Well, Paul tells us in Corinthians, he chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. So if you feel foolish, sign up for summer Surf. And watch God change your life as you work with God to change someone else 's life. as you watch His word, become your words that change the world. And this is why it's so important to be in His word. I told you last week, if you were here, you know every summer, not last summer because of everything that was going on, but every summer, I' take a preaching break because you know, part of my calling and gift is to preach the word, but I have to have time alone with God to make sure that my words are his word, because there's a lot of preachers today in the advent of the internet. Thank you, Al Gore, has helped, you know, messages go out all around the world, but there's a lot of preachers today that are talking words, but they're not his word, they're they're the preacher's opinion. And so my commitment always to our board, to you, to our staff, to our church, to my wife, to myself, is to make sure that my words are his word. Because here's what I know. You don't need my opinion. You don't need my advice. You need the word of God changing me and then me speaking it to you. So I have to take time to make sure that my words are his word, and that I'm reading the word just for it to change me, not reading the word and thinking of five sermons. So I'm, I'm, I always take a break in the summer, a preaching break, to reset my heart, to make sure I know the word of God. And, and, and it's important for you to know the word of God. And so Sunday or Thursday or Wednesday is it's just meant to be a time when we gather together and you hear the word of God preach, but it's meant to, to kind of spark in you the desire for more of his word. Which is why our groups, what we do in our groups is we use the REAP method. We read, examine, apply, pray, and you just dig into the word more. Because what you need when you're together, whether it's a large group or a small group, is the word. What does the word say? And we live in such a weird time, and I think every generation feels this way, by the way. We live in such a weird time where people don't know the word. This is one reason we made a decision years ago to just preach through books of the Bible because I realize people are so illiterate when it comes to the word of God. We want you to know the word. We don't want you to be like the religious people of Jesus' day who were so around it but didn't know it. In fact, this is a reference. I have it on the screen. Look at Matthew twenty-two, twenty-nine. 29. This is Jesus talking to a group of religious people Sadducees, who didn't believe in a physical resurrection. Verse 29, Jesus says this of Matthew 22. But Jesus answered them, you are, what's the next word there? Wrong. Wrong. You are wrong. Why? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. You know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Now, I want to connect these two for you because the word there." Because you know applies to both of them. But it's in order. Let me say it to you like this. The reason why so many of us don't know the power of God is because we don't know where he's put his power, which is his word. So if you want more power of God, get more of his word. This is why the Bible says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Why? Because it's the word of God 2 Corinthians 2, 1 says, or chapter 2, sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. There we go. 2, 1. You got it. All right. All the promises of God are a yes in him. So everything that God has promised you has been given to you in the word, which is Jesus, which is what this whole book is about. So if you want to know the word, if you want to know the promises and the power, you better know the word. We live in such a weird day and age now, right? Where we can't tell somebody, which is why I had you say the word, "You're wrong." So I told you last week, please don't ever say, and as lovingly as I can say it to you, not being rude, not being, you know, trying to be uh, triggering in any way, which I, I hate that word, but but please don't ever say my truth. It's not your truth. It's the truth. It's my story, my experience. Yes, this woman could tell them, listen, you know, I was on my sixth dude. That was my story, but here's the truth. His name's Jesus. But we live in such a weird day and age where we can't say someone is wrong. Well, wrong according to who? And this is where, again, if you just intellectually play it out, you're like, there is right and wrong because there is things such as gravity. Not the song, but there is a truth that exists outside of you, whether you like it or not. And if you come up against it, guess what? You're going to lose. Just walk off a tall building and find out. There are right and wrong beliefs, but I want you to hear me say this, and I said this a few weeks ago. You want to know what Satan is always going to attack? He's going to attack God's word. And There's a lot of Christians today who are doing social media theology that a lot of other Christians are listening to and watching and thinking, well, that sounds true, and we don't know our word enough to know to say, no, 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 that sounds false according to what Jesus said. And it's the height of hubris for us to think 2,000 years later, we figured it out when all the other theologians were wrong for 2,000 years. So you better know the word. And his word better become your words. Let me make one quick application and then i got to move on. What if on our social media accounts... His word became our words. You think we might act a little differently? I think so. But one of the reasons why the world is increasingly getting more evil is God said it would. But number two, it's because those who have the word aren't speaking it with their words. And so my commitment to you, and I said this, 11 years ago when I was hired here, I said, listen, my commitment is I'm going to preach the word. If the church gets smaller and dies, I'm not, result- I'm not accountable for that. I'm accountable to be truthful to this word. The results of the church are up to God, which by his grace for 11 years, we've grown because I just believe when the word of God is at the center of it, God's going to bless that. All right, we've got to move on. Verse 43. After the two days, he departed for Galilee. Now, remember the story. He was in Jerusalem, Judea, and he was going north to Galilee. He had to pass through Samaria. That's the middle part. Now he's going north. Now look at verse 44. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Gal- Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. Now, if you were here several weeks ago in John chapter two, we talked about Jesus's first miracle. His first miracle is when he turned water into wine, and it was at the wedding in Cana. Now, just for you to know, kind of geographically speaking, Nazareth, a little further north, Cana, a little further north, Capernaum, which you're gonna see in just a second, all kind of to the west of the Sea of Galilee, Nazareth was Jesus's hometown, and in that area, when Jesus was doing miracles, what they did, which is what I was kind of referencing earlier, they were like, bro, you ain't nothing but Joseph's son. Who do you think you are? So Jesus leaves, and he says, I'm not going to do any more miracles here because y'all don't see who I really am, and then he makes the famous phrase, a prophet is, with now, is not without honor except in his hometown because they couldn't get past who he was to see who he is. But now John, and the reason why this is in parentheses in your Bible, by the way, is because this is John kind of inserting a truth uh, into the story to give us context. And so John felt like it was important to put this in. So that's why it's in parentheses to help us understand about what's about to happen. But when you read this, you kind of look at it, you're like, okay, that. That sounds out of context. John, why would you put that there? Because it sounds like Jesus is moving on from Samaria, this town. He was there for a couple days, and now he's going up to Galilee, and they all welcome him. They all welcome him. And that word there, welcome, is a big word around here. We like it because when people come, we want them to feel welcome, and it simply means to receive as a guest. So we work really hard to receive people as a guest because we get a lot of guests around here every weekend. And we don't ever want to be the church that forgets what it was like to be a guest. So we want to welcome people all the time into the family of God, if that's where God wants them here as a part of our family, Revolution Church family. But when you read this, you're like, well, the Galileans welcome him. Why did John put in parentheses this quote about having no honor? Well, it'll make more sense in just a second when Jesus speaks, but here's what we need to know about this phrase, welcome. It also can mean to get something. It can mean to receive a person. It also can mean to receive a gift. So receive a guest, receive a gift. Now, John tells us that this is the same area where he performed the water into wine, and now he's going back. And all the people were like, welcome home. Now, why were they doing that? Let me pose it to you like this. If you were at a party, a wedding feast, and a dude turns water into wine, wouldn't you want him at your next party? Right? You're like, Jesus, I got some tub out here, tubs out here with some rainwater. You want to do that party trick again? Hey, Jesus, let me fill up the bathtub for you, because that's what it was. It was ceremonial water, and you want to make it into some wine again. See, this is how a lot of people see Jesus. Let me say it to you like this. They welcome him as a guest because they want his gifts. They welcome him as a guest. Hey, come on into my house, Jesus. I'll sit down right here in this nice seat. I got it all. I got it all fancy for you. You need anything? Hey, when are you gonna do that thing again? When, when, when are you gonna do that, Jesus? I got some people coming over later, and I I told them, I called them, you know, I sent out a bird with a dove, you know, and, and now they're coming. But I'm like, I got the dude who can turn water into wine. We partying tonight. Now, if you've been around church. You know, for your whole life, you're like, I don't know if I like this preacher who talks like this. But I want you to help you understand something. Any type of preaching that doesn't acknowledge real world realities is shallow preaching. And so, yeah, we will talk about these things because I don't want us to be those kind of people that welcome Jesus as a guest simply because we want his gifts and we don't want him. And I'm using this as an example because that is what John is highlighting here. Because the Galileans are only honoring him for his gifts, but how this connects to the story prior is the Samaritans honored him for his word. As far as we know, There was no miracle done in Samaria other than people coming to life in Jesus. There was no miracle, as far as we know, when Jesus was having this conversation with a woman. He didn't turn water into wine. He didn't raise anybody from the dead. He just spoke, and they believed. So they believed Jesus at his word, but now he's going back up into another area where they will only believe Jesus if he does something for them. Let's look at the rest of the context. Look at verse 46. And at Capernaum, that's really the redneck way to say it. In Hebrew, it's Nahum. You can just say that when you go home today. It's fun to say. Make sure nobody's within three feet of you because you may spit on them. Social distancing. All right. And at Nahum, there was an official whose son was ill. Verse 47. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son for he was at the point of death. Verse 48, look at Jesus' response. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, that seems kind of harsh from Jesus, right? You're like, Jesus, this this guy just needed his son healed. His son was dying, See, Jesus knows your heart before you ask. He, he knows. See, there's another place where Jesus says, Ask the Father what you will in my name, and I'll give it to you. And I, I have had that verse misused, I don't know how many times, and people ask me questions about that verse all the time like, Hey, Pastor, I asked. I still don't have a G Wagon. I asked. Jesus said it. All the promises of God are yes in him. I don't have it. I ask for health. I ask for these things. I have that verse used a lot. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm strictly talking material things, but let's dig in a little deeper because this man is not asking for material things. He is simply asking for his son to be healed, which is not a bad thing to ask. In fact, I want you to hear me say this loudly and clear. If you are somebody who is struggling with health or your friend or family member or child or parent or spouse is struggling with health, maybe dying from a disease, ask. Ask the Lord. We are commanded to ask. The Bible tells us to ask. Ask full of faith. But here's what I want you to also hear me say. If God doesn't heal, we're still called to honor him. And there's been a lot of people who have destroyed the faith of a lot of people who have said things like this, you just didn't have enough faith. You didn't have enough faith. If you would have just had more faith, then God would have healed you right there. And they use stories like this. They use stories, and you'll see in just a second, they say, see, he believed, and it was done. But don't also miss what Jesus said in the story. That our belief in him can never be built on the things that he does for us, like healings or signs and wonders. Does God do signs and wonders? Yes, yes. Does he still do with them today? I believe so. But you have to understand that the signs and wonders are never about the signs and wonders. If you want a reference verse, write down Hebrews 2, 1 through 5. And it's specifically in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 4, the writer of Hebrews says this. God, speaking of Jesus, speaking of the apostles, attested to them by signs and wonders, miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit. He witnessed And the point is this, the point of wonders is always to to work as a witness pointing to something else that's bigger and deeper. So the wonders are never about the wonders in and of themselves. They are always about the witness for whom they point to. And so sometimes when Jesus is moving into a new area, when the gospel is moving into a new area, people need to see that the name of Jesus has power. In fact, Jesus himself did this when, his, when, a, when, a guy, when some friends brought a, a paralyzed guy to him. He told them He told him, your sins are forgiven. The religious people freaked out, and so Jesus said this, so that you know that I have power to forgive sins, get up and walk. Don't miss this. He forgave his sins, and that's where he was going to end it, but then they didn't believe that he had the power to do that because he knew that when he said he had power to forgive sins, he just made himself equal with God, which we'll talk more about next week. But Jesus says, so that you'll know that I do have power to do that, (laughs) watch this. So the wonder was a witness to something deeper. So here's what I'm saying to you. Don't build your faith on the wonder, build it on the witness that it points to. Because that's what Jesus told this man. Unless you see signs and wonders, you won't believe. So let me give you this point and then I'll unpack the rest of the story. We are called to honor with or without the healing. We are called to honor with or without the healing. And this is right when people are like, well, I can't figure you out, pastor. Are you conservative? Or are you charismatic? Yes. I believe in the power of the word of God. And I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't be over here in this ditch where you think, oh, God doesn't heal anybody anymore, but don't be over here in this ditch, and you base your faith on the healing. You base your faith on the fact that Jesus heals us spiritually first, and that was the point. And Then one day when he returns again, he will heal us physically, and he will resurrect our bodies and give us new glorious bodies, and there will be no more death anymore. But that day is not this day. And here's the part that I think so many people forget. Even if God heals somebody miraculously, and He still does, that person will still die. And if Jesus only healed them physically, then that would have been a temporary healing. But Jesus is into an eternal one. Let me read the rest of the story to you, verse 48, 9. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word. The man believed the word because of his word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Verse 51, as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. Verse 53, the father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself, now watch this, believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Now, here's what I want you to see, and then we're done. Jesus told the father, your son will live. And at that point in time, all the father could see was physical healing, because he's a good father. And as a father or as a mother, that is what we should do. We should move heaven and earth for our children to be healed. And I know so many families in our church that have done that. But what the father couldn't see at the time is when Jesus told him, Your son will live, he didn't understand that Jesus also meant eternally. Because when it said the man believed and all his household, is his son in his household? Yes or no? Yes, his son is in his household. So what Jesus was after more than the physical healing was the eternal one. And the man had no idea when Jesus said, your son will live. He was ultimately saying, your son will live eternally. Because that word there, live, is the Greek word zoe. In some instances, it means physical life. But in other instances, it means eternal life. And Jesus is after both, my friends. But one precedes the other. So when Jesus says, You will live, what we need to understand is ultimately he's talking about eternal life, the spirit living within us. Why? Because if he starts there, and now we're a part of his family when he returns, we will get physical healing. But if he starts just with physical healing and it never leads to eternal life, when he returns, we will not get physical healing. So Jesus cares about all suffering. Yes and amen. We should care about all suffering. Yes and amen. But what we care about most is eternal suffering. And there's been so many people whose faiths have been wrecked. Because they welcomed Jesus for His gift, not him as a guest. And I can't tell you how many people I've met on the year throughout the year says I used to believe in Jesus, but He didn't do this. So I don't believe anymore. And what I want to lovingly say to you as a pastor, don't look at what He didn't do, and look at what He did do. Because what he did do was die in your place for your sins, as Hebrews 1 and 2 says, to take back from the one who had the power of death, the devil himself, so that now those who are in him can quote what Paul says in Romans, death, where's your sting? Where's your victory over me? Though I die, yet shall I live. So church, please don't build your faith like the Galileans on Jesus doing a physical thing for you. Build it like the Samaritans on his word because of his word. Let's pray. Father, thank you, thank you for Jesus, the word of God, who came and lived among us, lived perfectly to your word, who fulfilled it through obedience and suffering and death and who rose again and beat death and who lives right now by your side. Oh God, I was just thinking about this picture before I came out here to speak just trying to visualize what it must be like right now by your side. And God, we want to honor you. We want to honor you because you are worthy of that. And we want your word to be our words to change the world. But God, to also recognize that there's a lot of people hurting today, wrestling with their faith because you ask, they asked you to do something. And it wasn't a bad thing. And, and it didn't happen, or they don't think it's going to happen. God, I pray right now, by your Spirit, through grace, you would help them to see that even if you don't do that thing, it's not because you don't love them, because you loved them enough to send Jesus to die for them, and that even if you did that thing, they or those they love would still die. Even if you healed them, death is still coming. So help us to see what you did do to defeat death and place our faith and trust in you like the Samaritans did because of your word. But looking around or talking here as we close, if you've never come to a place in your life where you have believed because of his word, because he said, if you drink this water, I'll give you eternal life. I'll be your source. Then right now, today, you can place your faith and trust in him and be saved. Nobody looking around or talking here as we close, but If you want to trust Jesus, you can pray with me. You don't have to do this out loud. You can say, Father, thank you for loving me. That you sent your son in my place for my sin. I believe in Jesus, the word of God. Ask you to forgive me. I'm trusting in you. I welcome you in as my God. Thank you for loving me. Now, if that's you and you're in one of our locations and you just prayed to trust Jesus, anybody looking around or talking, would you just simply lift your hand up so we can see? Just lift it up. Thank you. Man, this is the best day of your life. We have some men and women going to walk around and give you a gift and when they do, you can put your hand down. In just a moment, you'll have an opportunity to give us your information so that we can follow up with you, know who you are, help you on this journey. But then those of us who Do trust Jesus. We are believers. But you're just wrestling in your faith. Because you did welcome God in. But if you were honest, a lot of it was based upon what he could do that you thought he should. And he hasn't done it. I want to encourage you today. Keep honoring him with or without the healing. Like Job said, though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. Because without God, you don't have any hope. So you keep believing, you keep trusting that even though they die, yet shall they live because of Jesus. Jesus. Father, thank you for loving us. I pray that this word will become our words and that it would change the world. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Love you, church.